This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Graps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we're back once again to talk about all the happenings and exciting events in British and European wrestling and I feel really out of sorts. I'm, I'm looking around. I normally have some sort of snack with me, some sort of food, whether it's a, a nice bit of Cheshire cheese or something, a bit of cheese and crackers and I've got nothing and I feel I feel you know, like in misery when she comes home and she realises that the penguin isn't pointing south and that's how she knows everything's gone wrong. I feel like that, like there's something wrong in the room and I can't quite place why. Um, don't feel sorry for me though. I have got cheese in the fridge. Um, I, I've just <laughs> I've eaten my very significant body weight in steak tacos. Um, I read something, this was a, a while ago now, about how to improve your steak tacos. Um and what it is, and this is a great tip if you're into them, is to get the better pieces of meat that are a little bit tougher, so like your rump steaks. You know those steaks that just take a little bit more effort but have a little bit more flavour in them? But when you take them out of the fridge to let them come up to room temperature, don't just leave them. Put them in some lime juice. So get two limes, put them in a tight container that's just, just enough to fit your steak and cover it for just that half an hour while it comes up to room temperature. Don't be tempted to let it go any longer because the acid in the lime will start to cook the steak and it'll go a bit mushy and a little bit horrible. And don't be tempted to do it for anything other than something like a Mexican where that lime flavour, because it does impart a little bit of flavour, um, is you know where that's going to work. You've got to do it where that's going to work. But it makes it so much more tender and you kind of get the best of both worlds. You get the lovely flavour of that rump or, you know, that sort of steak. And you get the tenderness of like your sirloin or your fillet, something like that. Because I don't like the sirloin and the fillet. You can tell. You can always tell if someone knows what they're talking about with steaks by what they order. And if they order a, a sirloin, you know, oh, you just want tenderness. Whereas, you know, the snobs like me and you... <laughs> You know, we're wrestling snobs. I assume we're food snobs as well. We want uh, flavour and we're not afraid to work for it. But the lime juice makes it a little bit easier. So it's three o'clock on a Saturday morning. And what I've been doing for the past four hours is standing, <laughs> standing in my kitchen, slicing an unholy sized steak into tacos with avocado and onion and stuffing it into my fat face. Um... And thinking about the Forbidden Door card, which I can't really talk about because I'm speaking to you in the future. By the time this goes out on a Monday night, you're going to know who Zack Sabre Jr.'s uh, opponent was. And that's really what I care about. That's the thing that I'm I'm really excited to know. I wonder who it's going to be. I'm really disappointed that it's not Brian Danielson because I, I think that could be 
I mean, that's the match, isn't it? I, I, we talk about dream matches and, and we could look into, you know, break down time barriers and we could travel through time in our TARDIS and, and put together things. But if we're talking about a match that could actually happen, I don't think there's a bigger match for me than that. I, you know, it's the two Wrestling Observer Technical Wrestlers of the Year going head-to-head, one of which, in my mind, is one of the best wrestlers in the world. And being a British podcast, I'm obviously talking about Zack Sabre Jr. It's strange, isn't it, that he's so highly regarded, he's so well-loved, that, you know, I can still, in a lot of people's eyes, overrate him. You know, I'm absolutely enamoured with him. I was told when I started to do a podcast, um, and obviously I'm going to be talking about recent events and, and things that have happened, but they say, you know, you're going to come across weeks or fortnights in my case where not much has happened and you're going to have to have an idea to fall back on and my idea to fall back on is the Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, Will Ospreay series of matches because I, I think they're the epitome of an era of British wrestling and I think as, as much as I love Ospreay and I, I think he's, he's, he's probably the best wrestler in the world right now um, there's something about Zack Sabre Jr. that I love on a bit of a deeper level than that He's taken a style that is very easy to do in a very cliched way. That kind of technical snake pit kind of wrestling. That world of sport British style of wrestling. And he's brought it bang up to date. And it makes me wonder why that doesn't have as much influence in wrestlers. You know, you you look at how he wrestles and I assume it's an easier style. I don't know. I've never laced a pair of boots. I've never taken a bump because I've got spina bifida and one bump would kill me. So tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like that kind of style would be easier on the body. It, it's cool as anything. Very few people do it well. And if you could do it well, you'll really stand out. I don't know. I wish more people were like Zack Sabre Jr. It's, it's, a, it's a strange one. Today's been a bit of a long time coming, this episode. Um... I did, a couple of weeks ago, a bit of a half-term report about RevPro. Because I'm very aware that my style of review is to go into the micro details. And I, I, I make no apologies for that. I like doing that. I like going match by match and story by story and moment by moment uh, quite a lot, actually. But what I want, what I need to do, I think, sometimes is just take a bit of a step back and look at things as a whole. And I realised uh, when I did a RevPro half-term report a few weeks ago, because what I did is I realised I was getting really critical of a lot of RevPro because I was looking at minute details. But when I took a step back, I realised that's just part and parcel of a great promotion, isn't it? That there are, there are going to be things that when you chew on them, they're not going to be as exciting as you might first think. You know, there are going to be things that you, you want to improve. But when I took a step back and I, I, I thought about it, I realised... I didn't really need to worry as much as I was or I didn't need to be as critical as, as I was. You know, to use the RevPro women's division as as a, as a prime example, it's not good. And I don't think there's anybody would argue that it is good. It's, it's struggling. But I believe that Andy Quilden wants it to be good. He's doing the Queen of the Ring stuff. He's putting everything into a great wrestler like Alex Windsor. He's booking Smiley Kylie Ray to come over and try and have an excitement around that division. And while it might not always land, it might not always do as well as it perhaps could do, I believe that he's trying. And actually, I think that goes much, much further than you might first give it credit for. 
So I've been challenging myself a little bit to take a bit of a, a step back and, and think about promotions in a little bit more of a wider sense and maybe in a little bit less pernickety sense, a little bit more of an overview and just generally how I feel because I think that's valid. So, you know, sometimes I feel like we've got to almost put our feelings into something that's tangible. You know, we've got to have star ratings and we've got to have, you know, attendance data and TV data and, you know, think about things like like in a very unemotional way. But actually, I want to think about things in a more emotional way. I want to think about how promotions make me feel. And something else made me think. So that's sort of one thing. And then I was watching um, a post-wrestling update um, because Martin Bushby has retired from podcasting. He's, he's, he's saying goodbye to British wrestling experience. I know Benno and Andy are carrying on podcasting. Obviously, Benno's the perpetual podcaster. But... Um, Martin's saying goodbye, which made me feel quite sad, actually. I, I didn't. I always enjoyed BWE, but I didn't realise, I think, until it, 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 the prospect of it going away, I didn't really realise how much I did appreciate it. It was one of the first podcasts that I came across that treated British wrestling seriously as something to actually discuss. You know, it was on post-wrestling, and, I, and it, you know, them and the Indie Corner and, and, and places like that really got me into thinking about British and European wrestling as something serious. And I'm I'm really sad to see Martin go. He's been a constant. He's been a he's been a, 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 a authoritarian voice, a trustworthy voice. You know, he's a fantastic podcast host. Anyway, I digress because one of the things that got me thinking is that um, he was on this 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 post wrestling news update, and they talked about uh, the end. You know, about he's he's letting the BWE go, and he he wants to retire from podcasting, and, and they asked him. Um, how much wrestling are you going to watch now you're not podcasting anymore? And his answer was, I'll probably watch AEW and go to local shows. And it really made me think, how much of this would I watch if I didn't do this podcast? Because that's a real litmus test of a promotion, isn't it? And I know, because I've been told by several people now, that a lot of people listen to this podcast to save the watching things, you know? Because they want to, they sort of, a lot of us have this, those of us that are around in the glory days of Brit Rest in particular, kind of have this sort of hanging on feeling, don't they, that we can't quite let things go. And a lot of people use, and I, uh, use this podcast as that, and I use Ian Hamilton and BackBodyDrop.com as that, you know, for certain promotions that I have to let go. And I, I sort of keep hold of them, but anyway, I really, I really went away to think about this. You know, I was like Heraclitus. You know, he said the philosopher, pre-Socratic thinker, don't be a snob about philosophy. You're not too clever for it. You can use it to frame your thinking too. And Heraclitus says you can't step in the same river twice because it's not the same river and you're not the same man. And once I'd gone down this train of thought, I realised I can't look at these promotions the same way again. I went through and looked at the past 10 episodes and I looked and thought, would I have watched that? And I would have watched RevPro. I know I would. I've got. I've talked before about my deep feelings for that, that promotion. I definitely would have watched RevPro. I definitely would have had that little exploration into the Hungarian scene that I did um, last time. And thank you for everyone who retweeted and, and liked that as well. And all the, the, I got a lot of um, pats on the back for it. And I, I really did appreciate it. It made a huge difference. So thank you. And I, and I hope some of you have, have at least got to watch those shows because they were great. And I was looking at it, I was thinking, maybe I would watch a little, you know, I wouldn't watch like North Wrestling maybe, or I wouldn't keep up with things as, as, as stringently as I do. 
And just as I was getting comfortable thinking, do you know, I, I think I think I would watch all the things that I watch. A man in a cap kind of rose into my consciousness. And I saw some tattoos. And I realised this man was a middle was middle-aged. And he looked at me and he said, Aya. And I thought, would I watch Progress Wrestling if I didn't do this podcast? I've got to find out, haven't I? I've got to go and watch them in the same way that I watched RevPro the other week. I've got to go and look at them through this lens of forget the fact I'm a podcaster. Forget the fact I've got to go and articulate thoughts about things. I've got to try and make things sound interesting. I've got to try and make things sound exciting. Do I actually enjoy watching this? Because ultimately, that's what all that comes down to. And I realise as a podcaster, I'm trying to think of clever ways to say things. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of exciting ways to talk about these shows. But actually, do I want to watch this as a person, as Neil David, the bloke who's got to give up his evenings to keep up with these promotions? Do I want to do it? And do I want to let progress wrestling go? Because I've got this thing hanging over me that I am doing a European wrestling pro, uh, podcast, so I have to talk about progress. But I don't. I realise that. The whole concept of this podcast is that I go and I talk about um, things that I've seen as if I'm talking to a friend. And I don't talk about films I've got no interest in with my friends. I don't talk about sporting events I've got no interest in with my friends. So why am I going to talk about wrestling I've no interest in with my friends? Because I tell you... I. I was glad last week when Super Strong Style 16 wasn't uploaded. I was glad. And two nights have been uploaded now. And I feel like I had to watch them and I had to talk about them. But do I? So let's do Progress's half-term report. We're halfway through the year. Let's dip into their latest big event, Super Strong Style 16, night one and two. And see if I want to carry on talking about them. And you let me know if you want to carry on hearing about them. Because if you do, I'll watch it. You know, if you want to hear me me suffer through it, if if I do have to suffer through it, then by all means, I'll keep doing it. But let's, let's have a look. Let's have a think about them. Let's write this report. So let's start with Super Strong 16, Night 1 from Progress Wrestling. I have to be honest, it did annoy me a little bit that only night one has been up for any length of time and night two has only just gone up. Like I say, I'm recording this on the Saturday and I I, I think it went up like this morning or late last night. And I think that to me, as as a sign of a promotion, I, I don't think they take that very seriously. And I know we're sort of moving into a bit of a post-BOD world now, aren't we? It isn't the hotbed that it was at one time, but these are going up on the WWE Network, you know. And it, it it just makes me feel a little bit uneasy that they're, they're taking weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to put these things up. We've talked before in the past as well how they used to take a week to put these up, or was it five to seven days? But they were being pestered on Twitter, and Briley would be getting really annoyed and shouting at people. But now we've got no idea when they're going up, have they? I know at the end they do these little 
credit scenes and they, they tell you when they're going to go up, but nobody's really pushing for it or pressing for it. I feel like the only reason I was is because I wanted to talk about all three nights on this show. I think overall, going into the, the weekend, the promotion just kind of feels like a little bit of a joke. It feels like somebody's hobby. It feels like just another regional promotion. And I, I, I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. Or maybe I do. You know, when you go to a regional promotion, you expect it to feel like a regional promotion. But they're not. They're a national promotion. They're, in theory, should be the biggest promotion in the country in terms of independent-level promotions because they're going on the WWE Network. They're in London. They're putting on the most shows. They have got should, in theory, have access to the most talent with their links to WWE uh, NXT UK. But somehow it just feels like a hobby. It feels like my impressions that I get of this company is that they just want to sort of mess around with Lana Austin on Twitter. Maybe that's because I'm online and maybe that, that's a fault of mine that I should just be online less. But it just doesn't feel like a promotion that takes the wrestling seriously. I mean, when you have a look at this, kind of the opening and uh, rounds of this of this tournament, you've got Chris Ridgway against Dean Allmark, and you're getting rid of one of your best workers. It doesn't matter whether Ridgway or Allmark won. One of your best workers, who can have a solid match with pretty much anybody, is going to be eliminated. You've got Ricky Shane Page against Gene Money. Who wants to see that? It, it just feels really strange to me that you look at some of these booking choices and this tournament, and we'll talk about this as we go along when we get to more specific examples, it feels like this tournament has very much just been thrown together. It feels like there's been very little care and love put into this. That'll make a little bit more sense when we, when we talk about that individually. The commentary to start off night one they're saying things like things you love to see and it me. The humour makes me feel really weird. It's like, do you know what it feels like? Do you know when you're on Reddit and you go into a Reddit post and you see something that's quite interesting? It might be about something you're into. Like I'm into miniature painting and I might have a look and click on it and I want to read about how they've done it and I want to see discussion. But what it is is just a really stupid joke that's been repeated for 75,000 comments until you get to the real discussion. That's what the commentary feels like. That's what Simon Miller feels like. He has to respond to everything from the audience. The most rubbish, inane comment has to be responded to. He's like a Redditor who's come to life and been paid to speak to people. And I don't understand it. I don't understand. We start it with just such a weird feeling. It feels really uncool. And I know I'm an old man and I can't do cool. I can't present cool. But I know it when I see it. And this ain't it. This is not it. It just feels very corny, very cheesy. And it feels like it's aimed at about 300 people. But 300 people doesn't justify progress anymore. In their defence, the production is great. They are... They're, I would say the best produced show in Britain. 
in terms of the graphics, the terms of the music, the way it all looks. You know, they started this off with just, a, a, as you'd expect, like kind of a, a parade of entrance on a screen with them coming up. And the way the graphics worked and the way the music synced in, it looked brilliant. It's just everything else. So already we're getting started with this, with night one. And I'm on the wrong foot already. I just feel like... I don't want to hear Simon Miller promote Johnny Progress sunglasses. It just feels like a bit of a joke. It just doesn't feel like... Maybe I'm at fault. Maybe it's just not what I want from my wrestling because I want people to take wrestling seriously. There's been talk of a few Joe Lanzarisms that people have picked up and mine is, the biggest one, is that I like my wrestlers to have a cape and a scowl. And I know that Progress is going to have a sense of humour at parts that isn't always going to meet that expectation. And sometimes it's okay that certain promotions aren't for you. Like Lucha Underground, I'm sure, did what it did brilliantly. It's not for me. I don't enjoy it. It's not compulsory for me to watch that. But Progress is a company that that I've been following for eight, nine years. It's not as easy for me to let these go. Then again, maybe that problem's with me. So let's talk about some of the matches then. The first match was Charlie Dempsey against Charles Crowley. My feelings about Charles Crowley are really well documented, but actually, to be nice to him, he's a small room gimmick done really competently. You know, he he is, at what he does, he's very good at doing that. And there's a bit of a weird dichotomy to that because I think what he's doing, he does really, really well. It's just what he does is really annoying. <laughs> you know, it's just strange. You know, he came out on this uh, uh, to this match and he's doing this awful dance. Like a, it was like a, a, an actual TikTok. You know, the way TikTok doesn't really exist. It's like a bizarre snapshot into a weird created reality that just makes everybody feel uncomfortable. That's what he's doing. He, he comes to the ring with that same kind of feeling. He's actually appeared in EastEnders, apparently, in the last couple of weeks, which uh, maybe put me off him a little bit more, because I, I only watch one episode of EastEnders a year, and this is a bit of a family tradition that my wife had with her dad, that they watch EastEnders on Christmas Day, because... For those not in the UK, EastEnders is a soap opera set in uh, in London, and it is the most miserable half an hour of TV you will ever watch. It's just a, this most famous episode of all time is when a man called Dirty Den served his wife divorce papers on Christmas Day as a Christmas present, and you know people are always being murdered, people are always leaving each other. It's utterly miserable. I mean, Coronation Street. Maybe it's because I'm northern, but Coronation Street is the much more uplifting watch, you know. But we watch it on Christmas Day because it's just no matter what happiness is going on around you, let's all have a good laugh at the misery that's going on in EastEnders, which is just unbelievable. Uh, but he's appeared on that, and I'm glad for him. Uh, you know, I know he's an actor. I'm really happy that he's doing well. Uh, but I kind of wish he, he sticks to EastEnders because when he gets the microphone at the start of this, he just comes across as so theatre. It's his enunciation, it's the way he acts. He's very, very, very pantomime. Very pantomime. And I think he's doing that on purpose. So I'm not necessarily criticising it in terms of the execution because he's doing what it is he intends to do. I'm criticising the choice. I find when people in indie promotions act like this 
I find it very fourth wall breaking. I think the bigger... I don't know if this is just me, so you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I find that the bigger the promotion, the bigger the stage, the more I'm willing to forgive the wackier stuff because it, it you're kind of in a bit of an artificial environment anyway. But when you're in a small room like this, it's a very real environment. It's a very intimate environment. So when you're bouncing around and being like this carnival master and delivering you know, these kind of panto baddie lines... It just doesn't work. It just really uns- it, 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 it unsettles the sort of the sense part of your brain. That it, it really tickles the false part, but in a bad way. I don't know if that makes any sense. I hope you get what I'm talking about. And obviously tell me if I'm wrong. Um, Charlie Dempsey, I do actually quite like. He, he's William Regal's son, um, if you can't tell by looking at him. Um I've only ever actually seen him live once, and he absolutely half-arsed it at Future Shock. He was in a multi-man tag, and it was proper Togi Makabe levels of, like, I don't want to take a bump. Um, And that's first impressions are lasting impressions, and that's kind of soured me on him a little bit, to be honest with you. I find that kind of hard to get over. And to kind of get this out the way, I feel like Dempsey wants to be the shooter. In a but in a very traditional British way, you know, he wants to come out and do the fist pose and do that very British world of sport inspired wrestling, and obviously that links into his personal heritage with his dad. But he wrestles for NXT UK, and it it reminds me of the talk we had about Regal himself. I mean, I'm not into sins of your father; I judge them each on their own merits. But Regal himself, and I talked about how it really bothers me that he always went on and on and on about Blackpool and things happening in wrestling from the world of sport days and this amazing heritage that we've got, but then was such a vocal proponent of NXT UK. Whether that was his job or not, it didn't sit right with me because you were supporting and being the voice of something that was openly detrimental to that scene. And I kind of feel like that to a lesser extent about um, Charlie Dempsey because he's wrestling in this callback style of something that's that's died when he works for the thing that contributed to killing it. I know it's not I know it's not as simple as that, by the way. I can hear you saying that. I know it isn't as simple as that, but it just it just doesn't sit right with me. I think I'd have a lot more respect for him if he wasn't signed for NXT UK. But who isn't you know <laughs> can you think of an NXT UK wrestler who that wouldn't be true of? Um this match was competent, you know, there was it was competent enough wrestling. I think it was weird to kick off a weekender with neck locks, to be honest with you. I think a little bit more of an exciting match uh, would have been probably more realistic. Um, but I found myself, again, being impressed with Dempsey. His, his takedowns are really clumsy, but in a really interesting way. You know, it's very real kind of way. It was... You know, something really beautifully understated about him, a bubbling danger. He sells really well. He gets, you feel like he wants to make his wrestling as real as he can. So as much as I'm critical of kind of the macro things and and the almost the meta things in some ways, actually looking at him in this match and looking at him wrestle, I'm really impressed by him. Um, He's definitely one to watch. He's not quite there. Um, He's trying his best to do a style and there's only room to improve. I feel like this match was, if this match was just a pair of young lions, if it was a pair of trainees, I'd have been impressed. But one of them's the Wrestle Carnival champion. So I don't know how impressed I ended up being. 
I think what this match made me do is understand the craft of storytelling a little bit more. It was this really weird match that in theory ticked all the boxes. You know, we started with grappling. We had uh, uh, two-thirds of the way through. We had a strike exchange. We had kickouts. We it, it ticked all of those boxes of a good match, but it still wasn't good because it just didn't have that emotion to it. It didn't have that intangible. It wasn't set up as this exciting tournament for the belt. They mentioned it, but it didn't feel... This tournament didn't feel exciting. It didn't feel like it was a big deal. And this opening match didn't really lean into that story at all. And I think, that in a way, that's kind of modern progress for me. Is that it just doesn't really hit on any kind of emotional level. It just kind of exists, you know? Dempsey, yeah, was good. Dempsey goes through. Then we have Malik against Callum Newman. I love Callum Newman. He is a talent. He needs to stay away from progress. He needs to stay far away from their corny entrances. He needs to stop worrying about looking for hard cams. He's, he's, and it's a shame to see him in this sort of thing rather than going all in on a company like RevPro because I feel like he's just now starting to get it. He's just finding his charisma. He's an incredibly captivating wrestler. He's so fast. He's so fast. He moves. You know, there's that thing, isn't there, of, of, of great wrestlers move differently. They don't just run the ropes. They, they, they can just, you almost can't talk about it. It's the sound of the wrestlers, the sound of their feet hitting the, 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 the wooden, the, the wood of the ring. It's the, it's the way they hit the ropes. It's the way they bounce around. And Callum Newman's got that. We were just waiting for the charisma to follow, and it has now, or it's starting to, and I think that's great. The problem is, Malik is really boring. You know, he's not very good. I, I, he's a heel because I'm told he's a heel. I don't really know why. He, he barely does the moves that he does. It's a suggestion of pro wrestling. His power slam, in particular, is absolutely awful. You know, it's just really heatless a lot of the way. You know, there's weird punches in this. Um, what really came up in this is something that I've been noticing a lot in progress shows. And I feel weird criticising this. But, and it's, it's it's some members of the audience. You know, you there's that old cliche in wrestling that you pay for your ticket, you do what you want. And I, I, I believe in that. Obviously, as long as it's not, you're not saying anything offensive. You're not upsetting anybody you're not jumping over barriers you can chant and shout and boo and cheer however you see fit but it seems like there's a few pockets of this show that absolutely dominate it with weird rubbish chants and there's something really strange about just two or three people screaming a chant and no one else really joining in that it just makes me feel really odd Really, un- like it just doesn't add anything, and it definitely takes away. And that was really evident in this match. And but how do you solve that problem? Do you ask those people to stop chanting? No, I'm not comfortable with that at all. You just gotta kind of hope that they realise that no one's joining in. And as we get through this show, 
they didn't really seem to realise that. But anyway, that is what it is. Uh, Malik won, which is a shame because it means we get him again because Newman was the saving grace for this. He was so fast. It was unbelievable. This Prince of Pace nickname is well earned. You know, he's he's one of those wrestlers that he's like modern art. You know, he, he just winds people up. And I love that he winds people up. He could do all these amazing moves. Like his Tope Suicida was stupidly dangerous here. The way he leapt through the ropes was just he, uh, terrifying. I absolutely loved it. And he, I could hear the cornets of the world that you see on Twitter so much going, oh, bro, I'm going to do the old frother at the mouth. And that made me like it even more. You know, he's, he's got plenty of time to tell his stories. Look at Osprey. He's telling his stories now and they're great. He's got plenty of time to get to that point. Let's just have the dangerous cool moves for now. And he did that. And I, I thought that really saved it. There was one bit in this, though, that I absolutely hated, and, and I think this was a human idea, and it, it needs to stop. Do you know those spots where somebody has to hold on to the ropes? This was uh, a, a human sort of double foot stomp, and Malik leaned outside, and he grabbed hold of the top rope, and he stayed in that position for what felt like forever, and you know he wouldn't do that. And as much as I'm saying, don't worry about the stories in every match. Let's just have cool moves. That's absolutely fine. There is a limit to that. And that spot really found my limit. So I hope he stays away from that that sort of thing. Next, we had uh, Kid Lycos uh, against Maggot. Uh, WXW's own Maggot. He's really good. You know, I, I really like Maggot. I, I've seen him quite a bit. Um, his, his theme tune is an absolute banger. It's kind of a C6 Steve inspired song and the way he walks the ring with the crown of thorns, a lovely bit of blasphemy. Um, and he's the first wrestler, the first person who recognised that the belt was on the stage. He was the first person to recognise that on the show. And we're on the third match, which I thought was, was, was strange. Um, he wasn't really over. The crowd didn't seem to to, to be into him uh, but Lycos really are I've put in my notes for this should I do another Lycos heel rant and to sum sort of summarise my problem with Lycos is that I think he's a really good wrestler I think the problem is he plays the heel he isn't a heel he could be a heel but he plays the heel. He does things that are heelish and people just sort of go along with it and boo with a bit of a a, a nudge-nudge and a wink-wink and I just don't really like that. He's almost like he's choosing to be bad but doing it with a smirk. He was quite good here, you know, to sort of counter <laughs> the point that I've just made. He sold his resilience really well. You know, he he, he sold the idea of having to push through and, and get through this challenger in a great way. And it, it kind of just made me sad that he doesn't wrestle like this all the time. We have to have the baking trays and the shenanigans. We have to have the stuff with Gresham from the, a couple of shows ago where it, it, it's all story in inverted commas. I know that he's notoriously accident prone and maybe that's why when a wrestler's had a, a lot of injuries, they end up having to tell stories in a different way and maybe that's not his fault and maybe I've been too harsh on him. But it just this match just made me think, Lycos is a good wrestler who doesn't wrestle well. He was a bit boring, this match. He was really terribly paced. Things just happened. Nothing was allowed to breathe. Nothing had impact. He was just move after move after move. Um, the ending pulled it back. There was some great junior brutality. But I have no idea what happened at the end. Lycos wafted something in the face of Maggot. And Maggot sold it like death. Then there was a fish hook and there was a pin. 
I just don't. I, he was needless. He was completely needless because the, that middle, not the middle third, but kind of that sort of back end of the match before this point was really good. And you could have just pinned Lycos. You could have just pinned Maggot. You could have pinned either of them and moved on and it would have been fine. But we just had to have this cheap heat. And there's a reason why we call it cheap heat. That's what they don't seem to realise about these irony gimmicks, is that you're doing things that get what is known as cheap heat. Where does that come from, that phrase? Why do we call it cheap? The progress tickets are cheap. So why are we getting cheap heat? Anyway, next. Um, we had Robbie X against Aramis. We had the same two blocks chanting. Uh, Robbie X, I absolutely love. I really do. And I feel a real affinity for him because he's a normal bloke who can do spectacular things. He's, you know, sometimes you get the Tanahashis who are ethereal. You get the Omegas who live on a different level. But then you get the Robbie X's who are people like you and me, but they've just got a special talent. And they display that talent and they do it because they love it. Robbie X probably isn't going to get any higher than where he's at now. He's an upper mid-carder in the two biggest promotions in the, in the territory. And that's a really good spot for him. He's probably doing well. His wrestling's probably paying for some good holidays for him. But he does it because he loves it. He's like you and me. And I really feel a strong affinity to that. And I'm not putting him down. I'm not saying he's not ambitious. And I'm sure if someone gave him a big opportunity, he would do brilliantly with it. And he'd grab it with both hands and go on to do something spectacular. But it doesn't matter because he's doing what he loves. He's got to where he is on pure talent. And yeah, I wish he'd shaved his head years ago. I wish he'd got into the shape he's in years ago, but he didn't. So let's just love what we've got now. Because I think he's brilliant. Aramis, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know him. I don't really know Aramis. I'm not a lucha. You know, it's one of those things that there's a lot of wrestling going on. There's only so many hours in the day and things have to kind of fall by the wayside. And lucha is a big blind spot for me in wrestling. But the thing is, the commentators don't know who he is either. When he came out, they said, oh, Progress, I've always been a big fan of the lucha style. And then there was a massive pause. I don't think the Progress commentators knew who he was either. You're the commentators, though. I'm a bloke doing a podcast. This was a little bit soulless. You know, there was flips and the face weird directions afterwards that made it seem strange. There were head scissors that were oversold. It wasn't particularly fast either, which was strange because they were doing moves that looked like they were fast, but when you looked at it, they were done in a slow way, almost like they were training, almost like they were blocking out a match at parts that I didn't really like. And it was this match that I realised, I think it's the mise-en-scene of progress that I don't like. It's not necessarily the wrestling. It's the things that surround it. You know, the crowd are split into two. They're either asleep or trying really hard. And there was no in-between. The match felt like, it, just like this tournament, felt like it just didn't have much thought put into it. I'm writing notes about the match and I'm writing things like, yeah, there was a good set-out powerbomb. That's not enough to get me excited and the biggest chant in the match was this is progress and I thought yeah it is progress isn't it this is progress 
looks great, feels great, just little thought, little substance, little emotion. Robbie bounced, uh, X lost and he bounced up at the end of this like it was nothing and I hope he got paid well. It just, it, it, it felt like nobody involved in this match and I'm talking from a presentation point of view, a booking point of view, this tournament perspective, nobody really wanted it to be good. And then his promo at the end, that I don't know if he was told to say this, but Robbie X was saying, yeah, I might not be winning Super Strong Style 16, but I love progress. I thought, well, you're not gutted that you've lost this. You're not gutted you've been knocked out of the tournament. Why he should, you know, tell him to be annoyed. Tell him to be upset. Give him a little bit of direction. He needs it, Robbie X. He's not the best promo in the world. And I, 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 I'm very, very clear about how much I love Robbie X. He needs direction in his promos. So someone with a bit of a, you know, someone who treats this company in this tournament with a bit of love and affection needed to give that to him. But nobody did, so we didn't get it. What we did get is Simon Miller speaking to the crowd like a teacher struggling to control an assembly. Then we had Dean Ormark against Chris Ridgway. And you can sort of, you know, go on about this match being probably not the ideal thing to be in the opening because you've got two workhorses and you're going to get rid of one of them. But forget all that because you've got a good match in front of you and sometimes that's enough. Um, I really like the presentation of Ridgway. His promos are awful. His promos are awful. And he needs a manager. He needs someone to speak for him or he needs not to speak. His promos are really, really bad. I mean his presentation of the way he comes to the ring. I think he's excellent. I don't think his his presentation is so good he doesn't need to do promos. You know, he comes out with the tattoos and the and the and the the towel over his head and the and the, the the gum guard behind his ear and he looks terrifying. He looks like he's gonna hurt you. And that's something that's missing from a lot of wrestlers. And I also love Dean Ormark as well, for the same reasons that I love Robbie X. He's one of us, isn't he? He reminds me of maybe like a Martin Kirby. I how many wrestling DVDs do you think Dean Ormark's got? I bet he's got loads. I bet. He was on the real hero drive. I bet you he knows what that was. I bet you he was posted on forums. I feel like they've wasted all back. I feel like that you know he's they've 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 told me that he's the the gatekeeper in progress. That he's only ever been beaten by champions, but it it doesn't feel like he got to that point. It feels like they just told me he got to that point. This match was the progress house style, you know. The opening, the opening exchange was very good, but it was very overplanned. There was lots of dodges and sh- from strikes, but the timing was just a little step behind, and it didn't quite work. And then when the children in the crowd started chanting about Dean Allmark to Baby Shark, I just I came out of it a little bit. They really tried to have a good match here. They rolled around during a submission and the hold was accidentally broken and they fell apart. And You know, I like a technical match, but this was just too extended. It felt like they were extended rest holds. I was literally at one point sat there watching wrist locks. Yes, there was the little things that, that I like, you know, like they put a wrist lock in and there'd be an extra slap or a, a kick to the back of a knee to get them on the floor, but it just didn't have that excitement to it. 
the commentary kept saying strong style, strong style, strong style. I just, I this isn't strong. Just stop saying things that aren't true. Stop saying things that it really obviously isn't because you're just highlighting the fact that it isn't. And then when they started flipping between one counts, my eyes just glazed over and they went into an ankle lock and I just thought, what are we doing? And when I previewed this and I talked about this um, in a few weeks ago, I thought this would probably be the best match. And I, again, I just think it's weird that they eliminated one of these guys. And I think it's weird that they had a, a, an old, a, a very, very average bland match. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Match. Then we had Damo against Warren Banks, and Damo has a great entrance. They've given him this gent, th- is it gent, that wah, wah, bow, bow kind of guitar sound, you know, the Meshuggah kind of sound, it sounds great, and, you know, Banks comes out, and it's it was, the start of this was really good, competent, big men wrestling, you know, Banks trying to get shoulder blocks, and he couldn't do it, and, you know, this was fun. Warren Banks, I really do go back and forth on. Sometimes I think he's good and sometimes I think he's not so good. But one thing he's really great at is selling. And the way he sold a cannonball outside was absolutely brilliant. You know, and, and the crowd for the first time were into this in a, in a genuine way. It wasn't a couple of people who were chanting. It, it was it was a, a buzz in the room and I, I really liked that. This was definitely more demo. And I, I think if you're going to tell the story of someone having to try hard to run the gauntlet, which they're trying to do with Banks, that, you know, this is a bit of booking that makes sense. You put him against Damo, who gets dom- who dominates him. Um, I think the problem is Banks, he just needs to find his own style. I do really like a lot of things that he does, and I like his charisma, I like his promos, and he's, he's over. He's one of those wrestlers that people just, you want to root for, you want to like, you want to watch him. But he just, he isn't really a high flyer. He isn't really a power guy. He isn't really a submission guy. He can kind of do everything to a reasonable standard. I think he just needs to to, to find a little bit of his own style, a little bit of his own characteristic in the ring. Because he's got it in every other aspect. He looks great. Promo's great. Crowd connection, great. He just needs a little bit more of something in the ring. Um... 
And again, there was just loads of moments in this that were just really sloppy, like locking in submissions when Damo was easily within reach of the ropes, but then sh- having to scramble for the ropes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. You know, this was fine. This was, I, I liked it better than probably any of the other matches so far, but it was fine. And then we got Ricky Shane Page against Gene Money. And this match on paper could have been the worst match of the year. But actually, I think that's unfair. Ricky Shane Page has been okay in, in, in progress. He's been all right. But Gene Money, I just I just do not get it. I do not get it. They're doing the story of him running the gauntlet, and I just I just can't understand. And it's weird because I always thought Money was a very progress wrestler. And as much as I don't get it, if your fan base gets it and loves it, then what does it matter what I think? Go with it. There's plenty of people in other promotions who I don't get. Like we talked about Kylie Ray, didn't we, at, um, at the uh, Epic Encounters, the big Red Pro show. And I don't get Kylie Ray, but everybody there did, and everybody's gone and raved about that match. I don't get putting Orange Cassidy against Will Ospreay at Forbidden Door. I think that's a terrible idea. But generally speaking, everybody else seems to love it, especially the AEW diehards. So you do it. So if people love G-Money, then do it. But people didn't seem to love him here. He didn't really seem to be that over. And it made me think about comedy wrestling. Who's the comedy wrestling star? Is it Orange Cassidy? Is is Orange, you know, if you go one step below that, it's, what is it, Colt Cabana? Yano Toru? Am I missing somebody? Does comedy ever really get over on any meaningful level? Is Orange Cassidy the exception that proves the rule? Because he is over. But he's, he's not a champion, is he? Money flops into the ring and it doesn't scream someone taking a tournament seriously. And I feel like I'm having a bit of an identity crisis at this point because I'm, just, I'm more thinking about what I want from my wrestling. But in a way, I think G-Money is the epitome of everything that's wrong with modern progress. It's just a weird joke that's gone a little bit too far. You know, I, I I get money, I get that people like him, and that's fine. But I, I I just think that that if you're really pushing this person, it shows that we've gone a little bit too far. Put him on the card if you want to. I just don't have time for silly in my wrestling, and this was silly on shuffle, attempted Irish whips and with trips. I don't understand how this was supposed to get money over. They were two silly wrestlers who were pretty similar they were doing pretty similar shenanigans but they wanted us to cheer for one silly wrestler over the other and why why would i come out of this preferring g money over ricky shane page i don't get that the crowd was silent which was weird i thought this was your guy that's what you're telling me that this is the progress guy and the crowd was silent he calls his moves things like the james blunt force trauma which dates you it absolutely dates you if I said if I said James Blunt to some members of my family who are around 19 to 25, they wouldn't know who that is. I know who that is, and I don't think it's particularly funny. They couldn't tell the story of this match, ultimately. That's what it was. They just weren't capable of telling the story that they wanted to tell. Money went out of nowhere, and at best I could see the cogs working. At worst, it was just shit. It was just rubbish. 
Then we got the main event, Jack Evans against Johnny Progress. The crowd were almost silent for Jack Evans, which was weird. But then again, I felt tired. I think we were all just tired at this point. And I like Jack Evans a lot. I think he's really good. I, I don't know if I want to see him anymore, though. It's weird that he comes out and he starts shouting things and he's he's just saying things like, oh, I don't care about the English unless they're from Liverpool. And now we're getting into regional stuff that I don't really like. Maybe it's because I'm married to a scouser and I've lived in Liverpool and I love Liverpool. You know, I, I love it. And, I, I you know, I'm from Manchester and I, I feel the pressure that I should I shouldn't like. I shouldn't like Liverpool. Why wouldn't I like Liverpool? The first thing you see as you drive into Liverpool from Manchester to um from Manchester is a massive Unite headquarters, a, a working man's union. It's lovely. They've got the docks. They've, you know, loads of great stuff in Liverpool. I think it's brilliant. I don't want to boo them. Anyway, the point is, he was being an import. And I know that sounds like a weird criticism because he is an import, but I, I think that if we want to take ourselves seriously as a big boy promotion, we can't act like imports. You can't have imports that act like they're just here to get a paycheck and that they're here as this almost novelty. They've got to act like they're part of the roster. And Evans was just acting like an import. And Johnny... Johnny Progress. Johnny Promotion was the same. He's calling himself Johnny Progress. He looks more like Johnny the... Johnny the Dog, the Bounty Hunter. Maybe I should stop criticising uh, progress commentary if I've seen the anyway whatever um, you know some people in the crowd reacted to Johnny Progress but it felt like they were trying to convince themselves that this match had a bit of, a bit of star power there was too many shenanigans at the start there were too many laughs that, that just screamed import and uh, they should have been told not to do that there was a chant about same old scousers always cheating I don't like that because I like scousers and he's not from Liverpool anyway I'm going to say something now, and, and, and this is this is quite serious, and, I, and you, you are more than okay to disagree with me because I'm going to talk about disability, and it's something that's that's quite close to my heart because I'm a I'm a disabled man myself, and there was a spot in this where they grabbed someone's K Walker from the crowd and used that. Now I might be bearing my ass here and getting this completely wrong because that person might have been in on that, and they might not have been in on that spot and they might have been completely okay with it and that's fine. If they were okay with it, strike this from the record and tell me to shut up. But there's something about people taking disabled people's equipment, like, you know, people in wheelchairs and them just being grabbed and pushed that isn't okay. And I felt like, and again, this person, if, you know might have been completely okay with this spot. They nodded and they gave affirmation. But if that was planned in the moment, that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable because you can't say no to people. You know, I've had experiences myself. Like I say, I have spina bifida. I struggle physically a lot, especially as I'm getting older. My back hurts quite a lot. I can't do physical things. And, and you do sometimes get put in positions where... You're asked to do things that you can't do and to be putting it and you find yourself saying yes. Like I remember at work, I would sort of in my late 20s, I would end up moving things because I, 
you know, heavy lifting and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. And I knew I would be suffering later on. And I, I said yes, because I also didn't want to explain that to people. And that's what grabbing that K Walker and doing the spot with it. You know, what if they'd have broken it? Like, what if they'd have broken that person's lifeline? Again, this person might have been completely okay with it and you might be a disabled person and you might be saying, do you know what? I'd be okay with, with someone doing that to me. And But as a disabled person myself, I wouldn't have been. And I felt like I would have said yes. Maybe that's a very, very personal thing. And believe me, I'm not one of these people that if you want to disagree with me, that's absolutely fine. You don't have to roll your eyes and, and say, you, you know, everyone's offended by everything there is a perfectly reasonable counter-argument to what I'm saying that you might not have. And I'm not saying that Johnny Progress did this in a nasty way or this was done with any maliciousness. I'm just saying that this is what that moment made me think about. Maybe it's because I I have a history of this sort of thing myself. I don't know. Anyway, uh, this was sloppy wrestling between two middle-aged wrestlers, uh, botching and doing Canadian Destroyers. It wasn't very good. Johnny Progress missed the Starship Pain, and that is your lot. So, I've been a bit grumpy, Anta. Um, I've not really enjoyed this show. I thought it was pretty boring. Nothing went above two and three-quarter stars. But, I was told that it was night two where all the excitement lay. I was told that it was night two that was absolutely amazing. So let's see what happened in night two. I have to say, looking at the booking in night two, it does on paper seem a lot better. You know, and maybe I I I I needed to refresh myself. I needed to approach night two with just a fresh set of eyes. Just think, well, night one's putting pieces in, you know, moving the pieces around and night two is where we're going to get some action and we're going to get some things that aren't necessarily part of the tournament to get excited about. And the first match is the epitome of that. We had a Progress Tag Team title three-way ladder match. It was the 0-1-2-1 against the Sunshine Machine against the Smoking Aces. And these are three teams I absolutely love. I think these three teams are superb. Um... I really felt like, to be honest with you, we should have just had a smaller tournament and had more things like this. I talked about that Will Cooling article when he put, you know, about not having to do weekenders because you can't really justify them. And I think from a, a booking point of view, that's right. But I, I uh, sorry, I mean a business point of view more than a booking point of view. And I, I agree completely, but that's not really my strength in analysis. I just look at things in terms of whether I enjoy watching them. And I think by having this over three nights, it was definitely a detriment. I really liked all three teams in it, and I felt like if I'd have had this in um, on night one, I probably would have come away from it feeling a lot happier. There were some solid promos at the start of this. It was really simple. It was one team saying, we're the best, and then the other two teams saying, no, you're not, we are. You know, they stop smirking about wrestling. They stop trying to treat it like, you know, something forgotten that you were bringing back and you were just rediscovering. They were just trying to do something that they loved really, really well. I'm not bothered about people smirking about Brit Rest on Twitter. I'm not bothered about the people that just go to have a party. I'm bothered about good wrestling. 
done well. And I felt like in the opening section of this with the promos that they wanted to do that too. But we know that Progress have a history of bad ladder matches. And I'm not a fan of ladder matches anyway, to be honest with you. I'm kind of, I was, I think, at one point, but I'm kind of bored with them. Um, but like I say, I like everyone in this match. I really like Man Like Darius. He came out, looked dressed like something from Cyberpunk. He looked great, and he's a star. And I really wish he'd start working some more promotions. I really wish he'd start working Red Pro. I think, you know, partly it might be because at Red Pro we're all square dorks, and we don't really understand when people say things like, what I say, what I say, what I say, what? You know, that's not... I mean, how uncomfortable did I, <laughs> did I sound doing that in my living room? You know, and I don't know if I'd do that in a, in a live venue. Um, I mean, th- this was great. You know, there were bad spots. There were huge cyclone kicks. It was It was great, you know. I almost knew what the problems were going to be before it happened, you know, before the match started. You know, I knew they were going to be slow setups. I knew they were going to take forever to get to ropes and, and build ladders. And, you know, and I, I know that every, everything in this match is going to have a caveat, but it was still entertaining. There was still lots of interesting things. There was a great spot where Chuck Mambo was caught outside in a Meltzer driver. You know, he, he kind of, he jumped off the, off the ladder. He was supposed to land on the road, but he didn't. He landed on the, landed on the floor, but because he's such a good wrestler, he was able to transition it into kind of a, a springboard and then jump outside, but he was caught in a Meltzer driver. And it really, it really, it, it was entertaining. There was little structure. There was little to sink your teeth into. On Grapple, this is 4.5. In no word, in no world is this a 4.5. You know, there were lots of spots in this that were really cool. You know, um, but it, it was just an interesting spot fest. There was no emotion. The emotion was never really felt at any point. You know, lots of things were happening that were never really related to winning the match. There were lots of times when people would be at the top of the ladder reaching desperately for a for a um for a belt but really obviously not reaching for it at the same time but sometimes i like people just doing moves you know I, i'm not one of those people that that's going to criticize that necessarily because this was an opener there was a big spot with an assisted netbreaker that was great because i thought someone might get seriously hurt you know it's dead intense you know it had an intensity that, that that's missing from progress and i thought this was probably the best thing i've seen all weekend then we had a singles match between uh, Dean Ormark and Big Demo. Um, we've eliminated these two, so we're having a special singles match. I didn't really understand. You know, this was actually an okay match. And I thought if you'd have let these two go through in the tournament and maybe built Demo up as this big monster, because he won here and you could have had him run a little bit further, I thought that would have paid dividends later on for your eventual winner. But anyway, whatever. Um there was a really weird commentary moment in this one. I'm going to start pointing these out because he said at one point about the referee, I never figured out that referee's name. I thought, why are you saying that? What's funny about that? It's weird, isn't it? Am I overthinking that? Because I just thought it was a strange thing to say. I thought, you know, in, in promotions that, you know, we have promotions in the world in Japan that set up fake governing bodies and you're saying you don't even know who the referee is. It's weird, wasn't it? Anyway, um, Damo was great here. You know, I think if you keep the match under 10 minutes, I think he can be really good. I think if he gets over 10 minutes, he, he falls apart. But there was some really good stuff. You know, Dino's an old pro. 
so he was amazing at leaping around and selling. He really took some big bumps here and he really knew how to wrestle a big man, which is a skill that's missing, I think, because big men tend to get signed now, don't they? You know, it's a very visual business and if you've got the look, you tend to accelerate a little bit quicker. Um, like a lot of things here, there was a really weird botch. You know, Damo missed a cannonball. I think he did, but it, it didn't really look like he missed it, but then Old Mac didn't sell it and moved on as if he had missed it. I think sometimes you just got to sell what happens. If he didn't intend for that to be missed and it connected, then, you know, don't you know, just sell it like it hit. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's just that, you know, this was a perfectly fine match, you know. It was, it was fine, you know. It feels weird to be heating up Damo again, but... You know that that's good. It shows they're thinking about heating people up, which is which is fine. Malik against Gene Money. <laughs> Are we ready for this one? I mean, wow. You know, I know it's common to slag off Brit Rest, and I like to slag it off too. But I think we could do better than this. Can't really remember why we don't like Malik. I I, I just can't really remember. You know, we we. We're singing songs. We're having a casual tour of the outside of the ring. Nothing really happened. It was just weird strikes. I've seen better work on trading shows. Gene Money took a German on the apron and nearly died. And then we meant, went immediately to that softly spoken mutterings from the commentary. Like, they didn't sell that it was a shock. This German happened. He landed on his head. There was no outrage. There was no visible shock. But then we went to the quiet the softly spoken mutterings. But the crowd didn't really pick up on it. They were doing their rubbish chants and they were they were chatting. So it, it was odd. Everything was a mumble. Mallet's control period was a still day on gentle water. And Muddy came back into it for a bit. And you know what? I was glad. I was... Malik's control period was that boring. I was glad when Gene Money started to fight back. And I realised that I'm, I'm watching Simulacra. They're telling the story of Gene Money running the gauntlet, but they've not organised anything. They put cars together at random and then just said, oh, we're telling this story here and I'm expected to believe it. What did Malik get out of this? Malik wasn't heated up any more than when he started and he got through to the second round. So if you're not going to do anything with him, why did Damo get through to the second round or Dean Allmark get through to the second round and get some heat there? The sort of thing that I'm talking about, I think, is perhaps epitomised the most by Big Guns Joe against Luke Jacobs. Luke Jacobs is the heaviest power junior in wrestling, uh, but he's their 205-plus champion, the Atlas champion, the heavyweight champion. Remove all my thoughts about Luke Jacobs. You know, I understand that I, I think he should be a junior. Whatever. Let's just take it as read that he is a heavyweight. You've booked him against Big Junk, Big Guns Joe. Big Guns Joe, his literal gimmick is that he's small. That's his gimmick. He's a jacked up small bloke who thinks he's huge. That's why when they announce his weight at the start of the match, they do it in grams to make it seem like a bigger number. 
It's a fine act. I'm, I'm not that bothered about Big Gun Joe's act. I'm going to call him Joke. I can't say it. I'm not that bothered about Joe's act. I've seen it in Grand Pro a lot, and I love it there. I don't love it everywhere else because he doesn't commit to it as much everywhere else. But why are we having this match? It doesn't work. Could you not have just found him a challenger? Why are we having a champion do an exhibition match outside his division and present it like this, where he basically goes 50-50? Commentary at one point said, it's like that scene in Jurassic Park. No, it's not. It's just weird. I don't even know if this was for the belt, you know. It might have been. I don't think it was. But Simon Miller announced Big Guns Joe as the challenger. It was just weird. And this is what I'm saying about progress. Because actually the work here was alright. I really like Big Gun Joe's um, suplexes. I really like his work. I like the fact that Jacobs lost his temper and called Joe a bitch and started shouting at him and Joe had to pick himself up and have another go. I like these things. There was a couple of moments in it, though, that were a bit embarrassing. Like when Jacobs did a powerbomb and then Joe was supposed to kick out, but basically Jacobs just stood up, released him from the pin and then sold it like he kicked out. But whatever, that's not the issue here. The issue is the booking. Because at the end, Tisha came out and challenged Jacobs. Fine. So just have him squash somebody if you want to have him go against a junior. Have him do two defences. This show is three hours, 45 minutes long. What are we doing? Anyway, Charlie Dempsey against Chris Ridgway. Um... Again, I've come away feeling really positive about Dempsey. And as much as I've criticised things on this show, I, I have to say, I like the atmosphere of this match. You know, people were shouting for the favourite. They were staring at each other. Someone started a Let's Go Ridgeway chant and it, 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 it worked. It felt like it act, the chanting and the audience reaction actually felt like it matched what I was seeing for the first time. So I, I like that. And I think what Dempsey needs, and I think this is what was missing from the Crowley match, is that because he is so raw and he is still working on things and he does wrestle in that technical style, what he needs is somebody to take the lead. And Ridgeway was able to do this. The problem is the crowd really petered off. And every, he was ashamed because everything else in this match, I think, clicked. The work was really good. And I tell you what, because I'm fair, the announcers were really good here. They were composed. They called moves and moments and put across how important bits were. They could pace the excitement of an armbar and the release of feet that were finding ropes. And it annoyed me in a way because it showed me that they could choose to do this. They, you know, they, but they, they could also choose not to. And more often than not, they choose not to. But I thought here they were great. There were great elbows from Dempsey and he so fatigued well. And that's ultimately what lost him the match. It was a war, war of attrition that Ridgeway won because he was able to definitively beat his opponent, by lasting longer. They wrestled until one person couldn't continue. 
Get Dempsey out of NXT UK. Come on. Get him out. He needs to break bad habits like doing random bridges, but he's got something and I want him gone from NXT UK. They could really find a sweet spot here between a deadlift and an assisted German. You know, like, when it's too assisted, it looks strange. But when it's just deadlifted, you think, oh, there's something going on here. But they could find the sweet spot where things look work for. The crowd were just not interested, though. And that really killed it. That stopped, that stopped me actually recommending this. But it was probably my favourite match of the weekend. I like the opener of this, the tag match. I mean, it, it wasn't great, but it because it was very spot festy. But I like spot fests. But they obviously have ceilings. Then we had an eight man tag match. It was Jack Evans, Maga, Ricky Shane Page, and Robbie X uh, against Callum Newman, Danny Black, Joel Lando, Maverick Mayhew. And this was a nice little idea. Probably served us better than some random singles matches that they were doing earlier on in the card because we could have a little bit of excitement. We could have a little bit of, you know, high flying, just something in action, a bit of an amuse bouche. We got a dance off though. There was a dance off. And anyone who's been listening to this show will realise that that takes about 15 stars off for me. And do you know what annoyed me the most about there being a dance off at this sh- in this match? Is that it didn't need it. The high flying and the con there was a series where there was just dives and dives and dives and dives. There was Robbie X and doing his amazing, amazing, amazing high flying. You know, Robbie X against Callum Newman was brilliant. You didn't need to do the day. It wasn't funny. It ruined it. Don't do it. You know, the end of this, if you just skip, you just take the dance off out, it would have been brilliant. Robbie X did so many cool moves. They were flips and, you know, cutters and cheesy stuff, but whatever, it was, you know, it was great. But progress have to progress, don't they? They have to have a Charles Crowley running halfway through this. Next up, we had a triple threat. Alex Windsor, Raven Creed, Eliza Alexander. And this was the first suggestion of women uh, existing this weekend. Um, I really like Alex Windsor. Um, I like the opening of a theme actually it's got a Yamaha CS80 throb like a Vangelis thing and a name's come up a name comes up with like Greek inspired lettering I wonder if she is Greek actually I've got Greek heritage I don't know uh, but yeah she must be a Vangelis fan either way which which rules um, Alex, Elisa Exalin I'll, I'll put my teeth back in Elisa Alexander is Lizzie Evo she's a stalwart she's been around forever I think Windsor's really good and she was the the stalwart in this you know she was able to keep the pace up she was technically really good um it was pretty flat to be honest with you um raven creed wrestles with straight jackets it's a bit of an archaic view of mental illness in some ways that makes a softie like me feel uncomfortable i'm very much aware that i'm a softie about that though so you know don't take don't write that down don't take that to heart you probably don't really don't really care Ladder Austin came out and removed the ref on a two count and it got very panto, so whatever. Next one is the quarterfinal. Uh, Kid Lycos against Warren Banks. Banks is bouncing and up for it, um, but the match was boring. And there was a weird moment with a shoulder half up and Lycos apparently did a kick out that we couldn't see and it was just odd. It, it felt like what the first round matches should have been. 
because banks stormed through this and controlled it with excitement and pace. I understand that they're trying to tell the story of him struggling, but we've got Gene Money telling that that same story, so why don't we just have someone be dominant? Why don't we have Warren Banks storming his way through one side of the bracket and Chris Ridgway storming himself through the other side, or whoever storming wherever? Instead, we've got to have it like it's a bit plodding, and I think a tournament weekender needs to be plotted better than that. They need to think about things like that. He was fine, though. The match was fine. Whatever, you know, let's move on. Then we had Johnny Progress against uh, Aramis. Very, very much wrestling by numbers. You know, there was Lucha chance and Shaky's hand chance. There was some good flips and stuff. You know, a few moments of awkwardness. But Aramis was really into this. You could tell, you know, he, 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 he at one point he ripped his shirt off and the commentary went, oh, he's getting naked, which took a, a star off it. Um... I just think that Johnny Progress was a bit tired. I think technically they were fine, but it's like that Robbie X match I was telling you about. He was just 10 mile an hour too slow. Um, but Aramis, oh, they did a dive in this that was a spectacular. It was amazing. What was weird about this, actually, is when Simon Miller was introducing them, he was doing a really weird accent that I couldn't place. Like, I was trying to think, where in the country is this supposed to be from? And I don't know, he's just odd. He was doing like a weird voice for no reason. Whatever, up to him. Right. I'm, right, I'm taking a pause and I'm taking a deep breath because I've got to talk about a match now. And I said at the start, I'm going to use this evening to watch these shows and decide whether I want to carry on watching progress. And this final one, this final match that we can see, because night three isn't up, is an I quit, loser leaves progress match between between Cara Noir and Spike Trevay. And I think this is one of the worst stories in wrestling that these two have, have been telling. I think it's terrible. I actually think, if you look at it from a purely technical point of view, both of these wrestlers are good wrestlers. The way they tell stories is awful. Think about good wrestling stories. Things like, not even good ones actually, no, let's remove value judgment from it. Let's think about the basic wrestling stories. You've got a belt, I want it. You beat me in a match, but you cheated. We used to be friends, but now I'm jealous. The, the story of this match, boiled down, is that Spike Trevay thinks this industry needs ugly. He says that he's doing the most honest thing he can by exposing the facade that is Cara Noir. And for that reason, he smashed a mask, which is the symbol of everything Cara Noir stands for. Do they think I'm an idiot? You can't tell me that that means anything. That means nothing. It means nothing. They come out and everyone had FU spike signs printed out on A4 paper. And this isn't storytelling because I know you gave those out. 
I know you gave those out. Commentary are just whittering all over this. I can't hear him because my blood's boiling. It's got big Bray Wyatt energy, this, that they think they're geniuses. They think they've done something good. <laughs> I'm putting this on. I'm not that wound up. You know, I'm fine. I'm fine. You don't, I'm not having a crisis. Don't worry. We started the match with slaps and upset faces and a slap sends Trevay reeling and he probably, as he, as he fell to the floor, he, he thought about how he's going to expose the facade of Cara Noir. He was probably brainstorming what that actually means and I feel like I've put more thought into what that means than he has. There was a bit in this where Trivet dominated early, and because it's an I quit match, you know, the ref has to come along with the microphone, and he put it to Cara Noir, and Trivet said, he won't quit, he's too tenacious, and the crowd started chanting, too tenacious, and they found a way to make this the most progress thing, even more progress. I mean, the work was competent, but the problem is it was stuff like that that just everything framed it. You know, I've got the commentary telling me that Noir doesn't wear boots to con- because he wants to connect with the canvas. And it's just... I feel... I actually do feel a little bit awkward going so hard in on this because they really did commit to this physically. You know, Noir did a, a, a drop kick to the outside that was dangerous, and he deserves respect for that. But then, and I kid you not, he puts on a pair of jeans because this is a street fight. And the commentary said, special unlockable in SmackDown versus Raw. They have to be laughing at us at this point. They can't. This has to be comedy. Are we supposed to laugh at this? I don't know. And as much as I respect Noir for that dropkick, because he did commit to that, and there's a spot later on that deserves respect, and you can't take this away from him. He got glassed at one point, and he didn't gig. I feel... Am I a sicko? I feel like if you're... I mean, obviously, it was stage glass. I don't think he actually got glassed. But if you if you get glassed, I think you're committing to cut yourself. I really do. Don't do the glassing spot if you don't want a gig. Trivay should have busted him open hard way. <laughs> anyway, you know, there's, you know, Trevay puts Noir's foot on the steel steps and he, he smashes the step above it with his steel chair because I assume he wanted to hurt him with the reverberations. And then Trevay goes searching under the ring and finds a table. I think, all oh, right, we're going to see some spots. But then he looks around. And Noir has disappeared. Where is he? Where is he? Where's the swan? And Trevay's looking everywhere. And he doesn't know where he's gone. And the lights go off. The lights go off. And the lights come back on. And Car Noir is stood on the stage with his arms out. But he's not got wings. He's got chairs instead of wings. And he's gigged backstage, I think. He's got fake blood on him from the looks of things. And he holds his arms out like he's Jesus Christ. And the commentary tells us that it's biblical. If the Bible was even worse. 
and none of it works. You know, it ends up with with Trevay getting the concerto and all these things. He's being bashed with the chairs, and Trevay says, "Okay, we're entering the next phase." And he moves towards the table, and stuff happened. And I don't know what that stuff was because I was looking on my comparison websites for my car insurance. But I'm sure things happened. And when I look back, there was a bag. There was a red velvet bag. And the commentary pointed out that a red velvet bag is a sign of the upper class. And I thought, thanks for explaining that. I get it. I get it now. Thanks. But you know what it was full of? Thumbtacks and lemon juice. And I'm telling you, if you bring lemon juice to a knife fight, I'm not going to take it. I know you're taking the mick out of me. Loads of stuff I liked in this match was just ruined. You know, there was a bit like Noir was was dropped onto these thumbtacks. He had him in a choke, and Trevay dropped backwards, so he had he had he got covered in thumbtacks. But then Trevay no sold the thumbtacks. Uh, sorry, Noir no sold the thumbtacks and locked the choke back in. I thought that was great, but then Trevay grabbed the lemon juice and threw that on him and ruined it. I looked at the clock. I looked at the time. There's twenty minutes to go, and I thought. You know, then Trevay starts dismantling the ring, which is symbolism, I think, for how brilliantly he's destructing, he's deconstructing how we feel about professional wrestling. But as he's as he's taking apart the ring, the ref helped him, the ring crew helped him do it. Why? Because you're moving us on to the next spot. And you're showing us that you're moving us on to the next spot. So you're trying to tell me that you thought about wrestling to this higher level, but you've not thought about that. Anyway, Noir walked off. And I was actually hooked at this point. I, I had like this weird feeling of like, there's been that much mental stuff happening in this match. I thought, I've got to know where he's going. I've got to know what he's going to bring back. Do you know what he brought back? If you haven't seen it, guess for me. Like, get something in your head now. I'm telling you, um, Karen Noir walked off. He got something to use in this match. Put something in your head. He's a trampoline. And the crowd chanted trampoline. And in all seriousness, I'm going to say this because the spot was actually kind of cool. Like, I'm laughing at the trampoline, but it was kind of cool because there was all these tables set out and he he ran and he, he sort of did the Sinkara leap up to the outside and it was a great spot. And I say this with all seriousness, seriousness, Karnoir smashed his head on a table and it didn't break. And he, I hope he's all right. Like, genuinely, like, I hope he's all right, because it looked nasty. Then Trevay had a chain, and the chain was wrapped around his throat. Trevay goes for a chair, and he, he can't get the silent man to quit. But then Trevay grabs someone. It's a woman. Who's the woman? I don't know. It's Noir's wife. It's his wife. And he holds the chair over his wife, and Noir quits. Because true love won in the end. And some idiot started chanting, thank you, Cara. So let's have a look then at what I would recommend from this show. I'd recommend the opener, probably, if you had an out to do. I might recommend the Charlie Dempsey against Chris Ridgway match. I'd recommend nothing from night one. That's Super Strong Style 16 so far. 
thank you for listening. I, I genuinely appreciate it. Please get in the Discord and, and tell me how wrong I am because I'm very happy to be told that I'm wrong, by the way. You know, I know people like to dunk and have takes and that's fine if that makes you happy. But I do genuinely like to talk about wrestling. So if you don't agree with what I'm saying, please tell me and we'll talk about it. I, I thought these two shows were terrible. I wonder if they are actually terrible or it's just a style of wrestling that I don't like. I suspect they're both terrible, though. And I don't think I'm going to be talking about progress very much because as much as I've ranted and raved tonight, I don't really want the podcast to be this. And it's difficult because I'm sort of treading this this middle line between, you know, I've got to cover significant things and Super Strong Style 16 feels significant. I feel like I've got to cover it. But... I also wanted to maintain that chat with a friend that I don't want to be negative. I'm not going to be, you know, that, that pox, po, uh, toxic positivity, but I want to talk about things that are, I think are, are generally good or worth thinking about. And I think these two nights have shown me that actually, for me, progress aren't really worth my time. Anyway, let me know what you think. Thank you for listening, and I will see you again in a couple of weeks for another episode of Eurograps Express. Mm-hmm.